right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 26. The Bible says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by coming to you again. The tag for today's message, the title of today's message is Why Am I why am I here? As we look at our passage this morning and we look at the words of the Apostle Paul, I hope to give some insight into one of the most existential questions of life. A question that many of us have no doubt probably asked ourselves or will come at a point in life where we will ask the question, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Or even more so, what is the purpose or my purpose in life. In order to live a meaningful life, you have to decide and define what your purpose for life is. This is what companies and organizations and churches do. They have purpose statements which describe the overarching reason for their existence. McDonald's purpose statement is to feed and foster communities. Here at Landmark, our purpose statement is knowing Christ and making him known. This is why we exist. Everything that happens here, every ministry that we have here should filter through that lens of our purpose statement. Is it helping us to know Christ or is it helping to make Christ known? The question that I pose to you this morning is, what are you living for? You know, the thing is, we all live for something, whether that's our kids or our families or some of us may work or live for our job or pleasure, good times, whatever it may be. As you think to yourself and you think about what do I spend the most time on? What do I reflect on my mind the most? That's probably your reason for living. It's probably what you live for. When you live for something, it is the motivation behind all that you do. When you live for your children, you're making sure that you are doing all that you can to provide and to nurture and to raise them up and to give them a good life. As a teenager, I lived to play football. In high school, I, I was absolutely in love with the sport of football. I spent hours upon hours. My motivation for everything I did was to get better at football, to get stronger, to get faster. This was my reason. I was dedicated to my craft. I'm sure that all of us in here have goals. We have desires. We have wants in life. I want some land with horses. That's my life. Since I've been a little child, I have always wanted a bunch of land with horses. I love horses. Maybe some of us in here want a boat or we want a car or we want to go on a dream vacation, whatever it may be. But the thing is with these wants and desires, 
the question we have to ask ourselves is, have these became our reason to live? Before we look at these five verses this morning and dive more into them, I want you to just reflect in your own heart, in your own mind, and maybe ask God to reveal some things in your life and honestly answer to yourself the question, why am I here? Why am I here? And then we'll look together at Paul's purpose for life and Paul's purpose in life. So let's pray real quick and we'll dive into the message. And as we pray, pray to your seat to yourself, to God, and ask God to open your heart to receive the word and to hopefully challenge and convict you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. I thank you for every single person that you have brought here this morning to worship you and to sing praises to you and to listen to your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would remove all distractions that may be in the room here today, that you would help us to focus on the message and the words of, of Scripture, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity of speech, Lord. Help me to get out of the way, Lord, that I would be able to make Jesus big, but I would hide behind the cross, Lord. I pray, Lord, you would just convict and challenge us this morning and help us to grow through this time together. In Christ's name I pray, amen. In verses 21 through 22, the Apostle Paul gives us his purpose statement. Look at verse 21 with me. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I do not know. In other words, for the Apostle Paul, life his existence, his purpose, all that he did, all that he was, was to live for Christ. In verse 20, as we looked at yesterday, the Apostle Paul tells, or last week, the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ being magnified is all that matters to him. Look at the end of verse 20. Paul says, So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. See, Paul's purpose in life, Paul's reason for waking up every morning, his reason for continuing to be served suffering and persecution that he dealt with was not so that he could buy a new boat or not so that he could buy land and have a farm or, or not that he could even, um, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're dealing with. But the Apostle Paul lived for Christ. He understood what Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Jesus says, he says, don't lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, the apostle Paul woke up every morning with one goal and one desire, and that was to see Christ magnified. You know, the question that arises, how can a mere human being magnify the Son of God, magnify God himself? How can we as humans make God bigger? Warren Wiersbe said it this way. He said that the stars are much bigger than a telescope, and yet the telescope magnifies them 
and brings them closer. The believer's life is to be a telescope through which Jesus Christ is brought close to people. To the average person, Christ is just a mystical, historical figure of yesteryear with little or no importance or relevance. But as the unsaved person watches the believer go through crisis, as the unsaved person watches the believer go through life devoted and dedicated to Christ, they can see Jesus magnified and brought so much closer. And not only is the believer's life like a telescope that brings or a yeah, telescope that brings Christ closer, but it's also like a microscope. A microscope makes tiny things big. And for the unbeliever, Christ is of little importance. But rather, people and things are what they usually value. But once again, as the unbeliever looks at the life of a Christian and they see them have joy and suffering and they see their devotion to God, the unbeliever should be able to see how big Jesus is really is. The believer's life is a lens that makes a distant Christ close and a small Christ big. And Paul understood that it is through his life and the way that he lived and his devotion to God that Christ would be magnified. As you look at the beginning of verse 21, I love the way that Paul begins, for to me. Paul says, for to me, that no matter what anybody else does, no matter how anybody else lives their life, he's going to live for Christ. For to me, Paul doesn't look around at his peers, he doesn't look around at the people in his church and say, well, how dedicated are they? How devoted are they to a life for Christ? But rather he says, I'm going to live my life for Christ because I want to, not because other people are watching me, or not because other people are doing it. You know, I'm reminded of a song that we used to sing when we were in children's church, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And one of the verses go, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here as he begins his purpose statement. Is that he has decided to follow Jesus. No matter if anybody follows. No matter what trials and sufferings he goes through. But to him, he has decided that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, regardless of what's going on. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my suffering and my persecution, as long as I breathe, my life, my existence, my purpose for life will be for Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. Is Christ. What a statement. What a statement. Paul defines his life by the purpose, by the person. Of Jesus. Just as a house is old or a car is red, Paul says that his life is Christ. It is Christ. He says, wherever I go, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, the presence of Christ is with me. It's just as if Jesus himself was with the Apostle Paul. His life 
was Christ. You know, as I read, I ask myself the question, can I say the same? When I go out and about, is the presence of Jesus so big in my life that others that may never have any contact with Christ, when they're around me, that they see there's something different, that they see that for me to live is Christ. Paul could say this because there was a closeness. There was an intimate relationship with his Lord. Listen, you don't become like Christ by not having a relationship. You don't become like Christ by just coming to church on Sunday morning, but rather there was a purposeful, intimate relationship that the Apostle Paul had continually developed and fostered. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes to the church at Galatia, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 1.11, the Apostle Paul says, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. You know, it's crazy, but so often I've heard, and I understand the reasoning behind it, but I've heard preachers and Christians that say, you know, don't follow me because I will fail you every time. And I, I get the, the reasoning behind that because we are human and we will fail. And we don't want somebody to be turned off from Christianity or from God because of our life. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, follow me. He says, imitate me. Why? Because I am imitating Christ. Because I am following Christ. Because living for me is Christ. And rather than telling people, listen, don't follow me because I'm going to fail you. We need to have the mind and the heart of Christ of, listen, I'm going to live a life that imitates Christ. I'm going to live a life that is Christ. So therefore, you can follow me. Amen. Not only is to live Christ, but Paul says that to die is gain. To die is gain. Listen, Paul says that he can be joyful in life because in life he gets to serve Christ. But in death, he can be joyful also because death means to be with Christ. What a beautiful reminder for the Christian of the future joy and the future glory that we anticipate. That to die is gain. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Listen, the Apostle Paul didn't believe that at death we would go into purgatory, that at death there would be a waiting period. If there was a waiting period between death and the presence of Jesus, that would not be a gain. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that to be absent from the body at the moment of death, you are present with your Savior. Yeah. For Paul, the greatest gift of heaven was not the streets of gold. For Paul, the greatest gift of heaven was not the lack of tears or the no longer having to go through pain and suffering. It wasn't even the absence of sin. For Paul, the greatest gift or the greatest joy and gain of heaven was to be in the presence of Jesus. In verse 23, as we'll look further, he'll show us that even more so. Listen, Paul wanted his Savior. Heaven was just a bonus. I'm afraid that often as Christians, myself included, 
we long for heaven more than we long for Jesus. You know, it's almost as if even in the afterlife, we want what God can offer us more than God himself. The same thing we do as we live here, we become Christians because we think that God can give us gain, we think that God is gonna bring joy to our life, and rather than wanting God himself, we want what he offers, we want to be a genie in the body, and or a genie in the bottle, and then in the afterlife, it's oftentimes true, the exact same thing, it's, listen, I just want heaven, that's it. John Piper says the critical question for our generation, for every generation is this, listen to this, if you could have heaven, with no sickness, with all your friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, if no human conflict or natural disaster, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Would you be satisfied if your Savior was not there. And I believe as we look at the Apostle Paul's life, his answer would be no. The Apostle Paul wanted to go wherever his Savior was. But Paul can say that to die is gain because he knew that his faith was not in vain. He knew that there was that there was there was realness behind his faith. He knew that to die meant to be with his Savior for eternity. In 1 Corinthians 15, we look at this during Easter, but in verse 18, Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all the most men, the most pitiable. Paul says that if our faith in Christ only brings us joy here, but there's nothing to come afterwards, that Christians should be pitied, that Christians that, you know, basically says, what are you a Christian for? But the good news is that Christ is our hope and life and in death, and that when we die, there is gain. When we die, we can be ushered to the presence of Christ. And when we die, we do get to go to heaven. Billy Graham said that someday you will hear a read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 becomes a valuable test for our lives. What does living mean for you? And, and when you answer that question, what does that question, what does living mean? Then what does death mean for you? For to me is money, and to die means to leave it all behind. For to me is fame. And to die is to be forgotten. For to me, to live is power. And to die is to lose it all. Listen, when you live for anything other than Christ, death will always be a loss. As we then go through verse 22, Apostle Paul begins to unfold what a life lived for Christ looks like. Look at verse 22 with me. Paul says, for I am in a strait betwixt the two, or he is hard pressed. He is struggling. There's an internal struggle of which one he would rather have. Yet what I shall choose, 
Oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped the verse. <laughs> sorry, verse 22. Go back one verse with me. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I don't know. I want us to understand this morning that living a Christian life, living a Christian life that has meaning, that has purpose, means fruitful labor. It means being engaged in gospel work that matters. The Christian life is not just about being saved from our sin. It's not just about avoiding wickedness, but it's about fruitful labor. When Christ died, he died to save you from the penalty of sin, but he also died to purchase your obedience, that you would live a life for him, that you would live a life that had meaning, that you would live a life that has purpose. And a life for Christ is the only life that has meaning and purpose. Listen, fruitful labor does not come about by staying idle. Fruitful labor, it's work. Even in prison, the Apostle Paul was sharing his faith and magnifying Christ. Listen, you can live a holy life. You can read your Bible every night. You can pray without ceasing. But if you are not engaged in fruitful labor, in gospel work, or really in serving Christ, then your life is not living for him. As we look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, we see this. In the parable of the talents, we see the words that every believer wants to hear when we go to heaven. That is the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But as you read though that story, as you read the, the parable that Jesus gives, recognize that the reason why they were told well done, why they were called good and faithful <coughs> servants, was because they took what was given to them. They took the talents, the giftedness that was given to them, and they used it and multiplied it. The one who was given talents, the one who was given gifts and did nothing with it, when he got back, the master was not happy with them, but rather the ones who took the talents that were given and used them for good, who used them for gospel work, who used them to serve and to multiply what they were given. They were told, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul's purpose in life was to magnify Christ through fruitful work. As we go to verses 23 to 26, we see that Paul's purpose in life was to serve others. Look at verse 23 with me. Verse 23, Paul says, I am straight betwixt the two. I am hard-pressed, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Look at the selflessness of the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 24. He says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Listen, in verse 23, we see that the Apostle Paul has an internal struggle, an internal wrestling that's going on. He says that, I don't know, remember when the Apostle Paul writes his letter, he's sitting in Roman prison. He's awaiting trial or awaiting to see whether or not he is going to be released. And he says, listen, I don't know as I sit here if I have the option. Would I rather stay or would I rather just die? He really doesn't know. He's really struggling with this. He's, he's in a crisis wrestling with what's next. And Paul said that his desire 
is to depart. The Apostle Paul's desire, what he really wants to do is to die. This, this word depart was used by soldiers. It meant to take down your tent and move on. And what a beautiful picture of the Christian death. Now the tent we live in is taken down at death and our spirit moves on and goes home to be with Christ in heaven. But we see that while Paul's inner desire was to depart and be with Jesus, in verse 24, the Apostle Paul is willing to give up what he desires for what is necessary. The Apostle Paul is willing to give up what is better. He says, it's better for me to depart. He's willing to give that up for what is necessary. He's saying to the Philippian church that while I desire to depart and be with Christ, I know that you need me more than I need to be with Christ right now. Paul says, he says, I can't leave yet because there's still work to do. There's still fruitful labor on my account. Paul says it's necessary that he stay alive. And as he's writing to this church, it's personally necessary to them that the Apostle Paul stays alive. As I look at this text and see the necessity of Paul living on with fruitful labor, the question comes to my mind is, is it necessary for me to stay at my church? Is it necessary for you to stay at your church? If you left, would anybody notice? My pastor at my last church used to say that you know how committed you are to your church by how many people need to know when you're not there for a service. You know, if you can miss a service and nobody notices and nobody needs to know, then there's probably not a deep commitment that's there. But when you're serving in the body, when you are partaking and fellowshipping with your brothers and sisters, that there's most likely going to be a time when you have to miss a Sunday and to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to be there this Sunday. Can you make sure that this is covered for me? Paul isn't saying that the whole world is going to fall apart if he leaves, and the whole world and our church would not fall apart if somebody leaves either. But rather, Paul is speaking of, and I'm speaking to you with the body in mind, the body, the human body is often used in regards to the church. If you take my arm, I'm going to miss my arm. If you take my leg, I'm going to miss my leg. And Paul can say that the church needed him. He was a needful part of the body. He was an arm. He was a leg. He was an ear. He said the church needs me. And listen, the church needs everyone doing their part. So the question really is, as we look at this passage right here of, of what Paul is saying is, are you serving? Paul says that to live is Christ, and to live for Christ means to serve others. So if you say, I'm living a life for Christ, well then ask the question after that, are you serving? Every Christian is called to service and ministry regardless of giftedness. You know, even in our church here, I'm going to get real practical with you right now. There are multiple ways for you to serve. We have on our slide at the end of every service about serving and getting involved. And, you know, the thing is that I don't want you guys to feel like we are trying to pressure you to serve. Because, one, guilt is a bad motivation for doing things for Christ. If you are doing stuff for Christ, 
out of guilt, I'd rather you not do it. And I don't want you to feel like we are making a huge deal about it because of us, but rather you're the one that's missing out when you're not engaged in the body. You're the one that's losing when you're not serving in some sort of ministry. And so as I continue, and I probably will continue to just urge and beg and plead, listen, get involved in something, serve in something, live for Christ, serve others, listen, it's for your good. Here at our church, we have multiple ways to serve. There's maintenance that needs done. There's cleaning that we do. You can be an usher. You can greet people on Sunday morning as they come in. Listen, if you say, well, I really want to serve, but I just can't seem to find somewhere to serve, then start a new ministry. Find somewhere to serve. <clears throat> you know, maybe there's some in here today that need to tell God, I'm willing to do what is necessary rather than what is better for me. I'm willing to do what is needful for my church. I'm willing to do what is needful for the purpose of the gospel rather than what I desire, rather than what I would like to do. Maybe there's somebody in here that says, I hate changing diapers, but I know that my church needs help in nursery, <laughs> whatever it may be. Listen, in verse 24, the Apostle Paul is willing to sacrifice his desires for the greater good of others. This is not a foreign concept to us. Mothers sacrifice for their children. Fathers sacrifice for their families. But as we look at this, just, just really just grasp the depths of what Paul is saying. Paul is willing to postpone heaven. He's willing to wait to go to the presence of his Savior. If that means that the gospel will be furthered. I can't think of the exact text right now, but there's another time in Scripture where Paul says that he's willing to go to hell if it means that people would be saved. Look at the dedication of the Apostle Paul. He could, this is why he could truly say that to live is Christ. He was willing to postpone heaven. He was willing to go to hell in order that the gospel would be furthered. In order that Christ would be magnified. In verses 25 through 26, we see that by serving others, Paul's ultimate priority is the progression of the faith. Look at 25 through 26 with me quickly. Paul says, In having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. Remember, the Apostle Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. So as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul has confidence that this is not the end for them because there's more work for them to do. He's telling the Philippian church, listen, I, I have confidence that God is going to somehow get me out of there, out of here, and I am going to make my way to you. And we know through history and through scripture that Paul did get out of prison after this, this term that he's in right here. And then in verse 26, Paul says that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for for me, by my coming to you again. Basically, what the Apostle Paul says is that he wants the Philippian church to grow in spiritual maturity. The word for progress, the Greek word prokopen, is to cut forward. 
Paul says, for their progress, their furtherance, and joy, and faith. The last time we saw this word progress was in verse 12, which we looked at last week, where we saw that Paul talked about the progress or the furtherance of the gospel message. This word progress literally means advancement by chopping down whatever impedes. Paul's desire was not only the cutting forth of the gospel message, but Paul desired that there would be some a gospel advancement, there would be some cutting forth of maturity in those who had already responded to the gospel. For the believer, this means going forward in sanctification. This means becoming more like Christ, growing in the image of Christ. It means cutting down the, the distractions and the attempts and the plots of Satan with the power of Christ. We talked last week about the pioneer advance of going into new territory. And Paul says, I want you all to pioneer advance in your spiritual maturity. And it's interesting because I want you to remember that the Philippian church is one of the only churches that the Apostle Paul wrote to where there wasn't a whole lot of bad that was going on there. A lot of the other letters, a lot of the other letters the Apostle Paul wrote, he was writing to rebuke the churches that were there. But the Philippian church was a church that was thriving. It's a church that was doing the right thing, that was that was growing and still having the Apostle Paul says, I want you to pioneer advance to progress to further in spiritual maturity. As you look at verse 25, recognize that joy follows spiritual progress for your furtherance and joy of faith. The reason that the Apostle Paul was able to be joyful in the midst of his circumstances was because of his spiritual maturity, because of his closeness with Christ. This past Wednesday, we were having a discussion, and somebody made a comment that they have some 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 things, some troubles going on in their house with plumbing right now, and how even in the middle of the circumstances that they have been able to remain calm and have joy and not grow angry, but if it would have been a few years back, they probably would have broken the plumbing by now. You know, that's what comes with spiritual maturity. There's a joy in our circumstances. There's a joy in our suffering, a joy when times are hard. Paul then ends by saying that their joy in Christ will be exceedingly more better by his return as they glory what Christ has done in him. Listen, Paul knows, he says, he knows that when he goes to this Philippian church, when he gets out of prison, he makes it back to them, and they're going to look at his life. They're going to look at his testimony. They're going to see the work that God has done, that God has continued to do, the joy he was able to maintain, the the persecution, the suffering, and that they will have no choice when they see the Apostle Paul to return, but to glory in Christ. Glory in Christ. And I love that because the Apostle Paul doesn't say, when I return, you're going to glory in me. They're not saying, oh, Paul, how'd you make it through so much? Oh, Paul, how did you get out of prison? They're not going to say, oh, how great is Paul? But they're going to say, how great is Christ? Listen, the upshot of Paul's life is that other people are making much of Jesus by being joyful in Christ and boasting about him. This is what it means for Paul to say that to live is Christ. To live is Christ means to be the means of other people 
making Christ look magnificent by finding Christ to be their supreme treasure and their greatest satisfaction. That in serving Christ, Paul was serving others. To live as Christ denotes that living life with a purpose means serving Christ. There's an old poem that many of us have probably heard before, and as we think of this idea of living for Christ, it really, I believe, paints a picture of that message. It goes, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Listen, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Listen, before we end this message this morning, I want to go back to where we began, and that is on that idea that to live is Christ and to die is gain. It has been said that you are not ready to live until you're ready to die. Paul was ready to die. Therefore, he was able to live for Christ to the max. It's only as you are ready to die, confident in your hope in Christ, confident in your faith, confident in your salvation, confident that Christ holds your future, confident that to be absent from the body means to be present with the Lord, that you can then live. I ask the question, are you ready to die? Do you know that Christ for sure is your Savior? Do you know that you have a hope beyond the grave? Do you know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Have you put faith and trust in salvation in Christ alone? If you know that when you'll die, it'll be your greatest game and you're ready to live for Christ full speed ahead. Listen to me, to live is Christ because Christ is worth living for. Every head bowed, eyes closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word and for this challenge from the Apostle Paul's life. Lord, I pray that as we sit here this morning and we think about what we are living for,